are officially on. Uh, well, I'm Joe Sheehan. I'm the director of research at Autism Partnership Foundation. Uh, I also have several other roles that I imagine we'll go ahead and get into, um, but I'll keep it brief so we can spend more time talking about progressive ABA. And I'm Justin Leaf. I'm the executive director of Autism Partnership Foundation. I'm also the assistant director at Endicott College in the Applied Behavior Analysis uh, Program. And because of that, Joe, I do have to give a shout out if that's okay with you. Um, Please. You're in California. I'm in cloudy, rainy New York today. Uh, but I'm giving a shout out to my three students, Amy Buxban, Shannon Penrod, all right, not Shannon Penner. Sorry, Shannon Arthur and, <laughs> and, and, Jill, and Jill Hickey. Uh, Amy and uh, Shannon uh, defended their dissertation successfully this last week, and Jill has her dissertation tomorrow. So, you know, I think those are rising stars in our field, and I just wanted to give a shout out to them. More doctors. Love it. Love it. Um, I, I think I, I have a script that I'm supposed to say uh, that because I think this is going to be a little bit question driven. Um, so if we don't get questions, there people are just going to hear us talk about Ted Lasso or Succession or whatever we're watching recently. Um, but uh, I guess we're live on Facebook, YouTube, uh, Twitter and Twitch. I don't know what Twitch is, but I guess we're live there as well. Uh, I guess you can write your questions on any of those platforms and they come to us and we'll make sure to get it into the conversation. Um, but, uh, oh, and uh, apparently this program will be free to download uh, wherever you get your podcasts as well sometime uh, next week. Uh, so if you miss something, uh, like one of the other 20 hours, I think, I think this is hour 21. Is that, yeah, is that right? I think you're, yeah. So, so the podcast is old enough to drink now, right? I guess, I guess being a father has rubbed <laughs> off on you and you're having dad jokes now. So that's, that's, that's something new. <laughs> uh, sure, sure. I do love my dad jokes. Um, but hey, you want to get into it? Yeah, let's, let's go. All right. So I guess uh, I, I was listening to the hour beforehand, and it definitely led into what we want to talk about rather nicely. Um, but maybe we should talk about what progressive ABA is for anybody that doesn't know. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's great. You know, as the other hour was talking, I think there's a range of applied behavior analysis, ABA, because I want to make sure we're kind of jargon free and an acronym free as much as possible. There's a range that at least I've seen and I've traveled across the country globally and I've seen a variety of programs. And the range is from high quality ABA to um, low quality ABA. I don't even know if it would be called ABA. And one thing that I think differentiates what we experienced, Joe, what we've been growing up is that quality ABA. And for us, we, coined it progressive ABA. And we coined it progressive ABA because it should be always progressing. Our field should be evolving. It should be getting better over time. And so there are multiple components of it. I, I think uh, I was just on an interview right before this uh, with, with a group of people and they said, well, what is progressive ABA? I, I think part of it is a uh, hallmark is individualizing the program to the learner. You wanna make sure it's individualized to the learner and the learner's needs. That's both on curriculum and on the implementation of different interventions. So it's not cookie cutter. It's not just like you pick up a book and say, this is what you're doing. It's all about the individual and making decisions moment by moment for what's best for that individual, what's best uh, for to meet their needs. Yeah, I, I, I think that really gets at the crux of it. To me, the 
the big thing is how often things can change uh, to ensure the intervention or the therapy, whatever phrase you want to use with it, is as effective and efficient as it can be for this particular learner in this particular context. Uh, I think the the big difference that I see between, like I call it the ABA I grew up with, uh, like that's what I got trained in, that's what my experience was. And I, I completely understand other people have different experiences with something that's called ABA and, and it looks completely different from, from what I grew up in. Uh, but the main difference to me is that the, the therapist or the RBT or whoever's working with, with your child or the client is responsive to that kid um, and making changes for that kid or that particular client, as opposed to waiting for a supervisor to come in and tell you this isn't working, you need to make a change, or waiting for someone else to come in and give you a different sheet of paper that says, if this happens, do that. So it's much more responsive. Uh, and so things can change much faster to ensure that progress is continuing. So even uh, I, I agree that progressive ABA is, is a great name for it because the science and the intervention should be progressing, but it's also ensuring progress for the particular client as well. Yeah, but Joe, how, how do you do that? Because interventionists shouldn't have to just listen to supervisor. They, they shouldn't veer from script. How do you, how, how's that allowed? Like, what, how's that allowed that someone comes there and just can do what they need to do to make the best needs of the interest of their child? I mean, I, it's a tough question because I think it depends on where you're working. Because I've worked in some places uh, when I, I first started. So I started um, in the field just providing direct intervention in, in the public schools in St. Louis. Uh, and luckily, that was not where I'm talking about now. But I have worked at places that are like, you have to do what the script tells you to do. You can't veer off of it. The supervisor will tell you what you can do and what you can't do. Uh, and I ran away from that place as fast as I could um, because it just, it wasn't, it didn't feel right. It wasn't the right thing to do. We shouldn't need to wait to make those changes. But I also had the experience and had the training that was necessary to just make those changes. Cause it's not like we just go in and do willy nilly, whatever we want to do. Um, it's based off of, our knowledge of the science. It's based off our knowledge of, of the client. It's based off our knowledge of, of the intervention and the procedures. Uh, so it's it's not just like, I'm just gonna grab this thing and plug it in and do it just because I want to. It's because that's the most meaningful, best thing to do in that situation. So it takes a lot of training to make that possible. So more than 40 hours. Definitely, definitely more than more than 40 hours. Yeah. Which I mean is, is industry standard right now, though, right? Unfortunately, it's industry standard right now. But yeah, I, I, to me, listening to the the hour before us, hour twenty, I guess before they were allowed to drink, uh, it's that it's that what we're talking about is actually probably what the people we were trained were brought into, uh, what what we were trained, what they were trained, and how they did. It. I know my mentor, Jim Sherman who was, you know, from the 60s at Washington when really ABA was getting started, he had that flexibility and he was able to adjust as needed. And I, unfortunately, I, what I've seen, Joe, today is a lot of places go away from that. A lot of places do not allow that flexibility. Uh, they don't think that interventionists, uh, the people who are providing the intervention, should be, should be allowed to make those kind of changes. And I agree, if you're not well-trained, then you probably can't make those changes. And it, it speaks to the importance of training and making sure that every interventionist, every supervisor is actually qualified 
to uh, to have the kind of freedom and independence. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and there's some questions that are rolling in, which I love. Keep the questions coming in that are related to what we're talking about here. Um, let me see if I can do this right. Uh, what are at least three qualities you look for in an ABA agency when seeking services? That's a great question. Uh, I don't know about three, but I'll throw out one. Um, to, since we're talking about training and it's it's how much they're willing to invest in the training of everybody at every level uh, because there there are some standards within our field uh, that are uh, money for what's required for supervision and training and like we said we don't think that that's enough to get people to be able to implement the quality of services that uh, our clients need and should have access to uh, so the first thing that I would look for in an agency is what are what are your training practices and how are you ensuring that everyone gets continual and ongoing supervision and training? So I'll I'll throw out one quality. Give just I'm gonna add to it and then I'll throw out the second one. And I think with that, that the training is really based on the interventionist or the supervisor's performance of the skills. That it's just not time-based and then you get promotions, you haven't been there for a year, now you're becoming a supervisor or whatnot. It is that you can do the tasks that you need to do to make sure that the the learner is successful. So if it's discrete trial teaching, if it's behavioral skills training, sorry for these terms, if it's video modeling, whatever it may be, that you are that you are show competency in them. And so I, I think that goes to your point. Uh, I think the second one for me is that the agency adheres to evidence-based practices. And to me, the field of autism in general is kind of like the Wild West uh, in terms of what's being implemented. And so there are hundreds, if not thousands of procedures now that are here to help autism or cure autism or make the child better or reduce aberrant behavior with no research, with no probably even clinical evidence, just someone created something, I think making sure and seeing what their philosophy is and that they're adhering to those procedures which have been demonstrated to be effective. Because if not, then what you're gonna get is implementation of procedures that could cause harm. It could cause physical harm, emotional harm. It could cost a lot of money for the parents uh, and the families, and so they're losing on money. It could lead to false hopes and expectations. So I think it's really important when you're looking at agencies is finding out what their philosophical orientation is and what they're doing. And then I'll throw the third one and then you can give a third one. So we're really gonna give four answers to this, I guess, is I really wanna look at the curriculum and what the curriculum is. What are they teaching different learners? Because it's very easy to pick up a curriculum book now uh, and say, okay, we're working on this skill, this phase, this skill, this phase, this skill, this phase. And some places I go, the same program is given to every child. It's kind of like they just white it out and put the other kid's name on it and hope no one sees. I want to make sure that the curriculum is individualized and that it's meaningful to the learner and their overall quality of life. We're not teaching things just to teach things. I've seen it in places, and I'm sure you have, Joe, where they are teaching state birds. And I don't even know what the state birds are California, where I live, I New York, I have no clue what the state bird is. They teach presidents and the order of presidents. Like, unfortunately, I know some of the presidents, but I don't know the order probably after Jefferson and who comes and who comes next. And they're teaching those things when children are struggling to have conversations. They're struggling 
to regulate. They're struggling to make friendships and have meaningful relationships. And so for me, I'd really look at what the focus of curriculum is and how they decide that curriculum uh, would be a key variable. Yeah, I, I think it's tough because we could probably talk the entire hour about qualities that I'd want to look for in, in an ABA agency. Uh, I, I'll take a minute before I give my fourth one. Um, I think the we're both members of the Autism Special Interest Group of ABAI, or the Association for Behavior Analysis International, and we put together some parent guidelines, or it really, I think we called it parent guidelines, but it's really just a document uh, that outlines some features that you might want to look for when you're looking for an ABA agency, and it's free and it's available. Uh, you can find it on the Autism SIGS Facebook page. You can find it through very whatever search engine you want to use, uh, but it's out there and available, and it will go into much more detail than what we're doing here. Um, but the, I guess what I would say is I'd want to do a tour of the agency, uh, and I'd look for a couple different things, or I'd listen for a couple different things. Am I hearing staff talk more than I'm hearing kids? Um, and am I hearing those staff talk to each other more than they're talking to the kids? Uh, that would be something that I would want to know. And I would also want to know what's everybody look like? Is everybody walking around looking miserable or is everybody walking around looking generally happy? Uh, and I think those are markers of something that I would definitely want to look for. So I want to hear the kids more. I want to hear the clients more, or I want to hear this, the clients interacting with the staff more um, than I want to hear the staff interacting with the staff. That doesn't mean they shouldn't interact, but it's definitely something that I would look for. And then how do the staff look and how do the clients look? And typically there's, there's a parallel there. If the staff look miserable, the clients typically look miserable. Um, and if the clients look happy, the staff should look happy. And if they don't, um, then that might be a, a red flag for me for that particular agency. But again, everything within its context. So it's not like a given rule, go there. And, and if you don't see staff smiling, it's a bad agency. But it is something that I'd be interested in seeing. Yeah, I, I, I fully agree with you on that uh, and, and looking to make sure people look like they're enjoying their jobs and kids are enjoying their, their learning experiences. I think that's, that, that is critical. And I, I think there's a ton of other factors we could get into and um, probably spend three hours on talking about all the things we would look for. And there's some things we'd agree with and some things we don't agree with. There was another question, kind of a different, I kind of like it, Joe, and I have thoughts if you don't. But the question was, how do you fight to get ABA services back when the laws are mainstreaming is a must? I, I definitely missed that one. Uh, that's a wonderful question. I'd love to hear your answer um, because I that that's outside of my realm of specialty. So I, I don't know if I have a great answer for that other than I would I would seek out other people than me to try to answer this question. Yeah, I, I don't know exactly get back where. I don't know if it's schools or get back an insurance uh, reimbursement. It's hard for me to know. And it's not my area either. I, I think you go to experts in it. Uh, if it's insurance reform, you know, Lori and Dan Unum come to mind. I think they have been great at helping parents and, and families doing it. I think if it comes to schools, get people who are experts in the area of schools and getting it back. The, to me, the strongest movers in this are ultimately parents. Parents are the ones that have moved our field the most, uh, from Catherine Maurice and her book, Let Me Hear Your Voice, to uh, uh, insurance mandate into federal laws, parents. And so I would get a group of advocates and really fight with, or not fight, argue for, endorse, embrace quality ABA and get those in, into, the, into the laws. Uh, I didn't want to leave that question 
behind and uh, I, th I think it's an important one. Yeah, for sure. well, I'm glad you saw it because I'm struggling to keep up with what's going on back here. So yeah, uh, but you have a hard job. You have to do all the profile <laughs> just to get to show up and answer your questions and, and speak. It is feeling an awful lot like the podcast we used to do. Now that you mention it like that. That's, uh, what, that's so, what happens when you're the expert in technology and I barely know how to turn on my computer. So oof. expert in technology. I'll add that to my list of titles. Uh, there is another question, though, now that now that it's here and it, it fits within what we're talking about now, which ABA places are doing progressive ABA and how do I get this for my child? That's a tough question. Um, I mean, it, it it's easy for us to say the places that we've had experience with. Um, but that doesn't mean that those are the only ones. Um, but I'll I'll start that off with uh, with that and let Justin take over, and then throw in my thoughts. Well, you're going to turn me into Eeyore. I was in a pretty good mood right now, and then uh, I'm going to go the Eeyore route, I guess. I'll circle around the B Tigger then. Okay, that's good. Um, sadly, not enough. I mean, that's the honest answer. Sadly, my experience in schools and clinical programs, and and home programs and group homes is that they implement conventional ABA. And by conventional ABA, I mean ABA where you rigidly adhere to those protocols or the data sheets, staff aren't well trained, and it's not meaningful curriculum. And it's a reality. And there's reasons for that reality from certification standards to what's being taught in graduate programs to it's easier at the end of the day. It's easier to train someone just to follow a sheet. Uh, there are pockets that I see out there that have some some variations of it. Uh, one of my favorite uh, person who's not who we're associated with is Todd Streff and what he's doing out in Missouri uh, for adults and adults on job vocational. Before that, he Todd was working in uh, uh, schools and consultations to homes as well. I think Mary Jane Weiss is another one who teaches her students and some of her students are ending up doing that. And she's out in Massachusetts. And I think, you know, uh, Shala Ali in, in Texas has been a long advocate for it. So I think there are places. It's hard to identify what those places are. Uh, they usually don't call us to come in because they're doing it and we kind of know it. It's usually the places that want it. Um, and then clearly, you know, without self-promoting, I think Autism Partnership has been a champion of this for, for 30 years. Uh, if you don't find it, I guess how to get it is to bring it up to the agencies you're looking at. And if you're already in an agency and say, here are the components of progressive ABA, here's what it is. Uh, you know, are you implementing these programs and really advocating for why it's important? Um, and Joe and I are always willing to talk to different agencies of, of why it's important. Yeah, I, I think it's you really uh, nailed the, you hit it with a, hit the nail with a hammer when you said that there weren't a lot of places that are doing it. Um, and I think we've been all around the country, we've been all around the world. Um, so we, we have a little bit of experience with seeing things, um, especially different agencies. And it's, it's not happening as much as it should. And I think part of the problem is because of the, the training requirements um, for someone be, to be able to 
because it's not just it that I know the trope is not all ABA is created equal, um, but it's it's really not every interventionist, not every BCBA, um, not every behavior analyst is created equal. We we all have our own specific histories and our own specific training. And if your training doesn't lead you to be responsive and to be a analyst and, and progressive then you're not going to be implementing ABA. Uh, any procedure can be done progressively or Justin said conventionally. Uh, it's a therapist that determines if it's going to be done progressively or conventionally. So like there's nothing inherent about discrete trial teaching. I think that's a term that was used that's progressive or not. It's who's doing that discrete trial teaching that will determine if it's progressive or not. So it's hard to determine if, if a specific like ABA agency is progressive or not because there could be some intervention, could be some BCBAs that are progressive and some BCBAs that are not. Um, so it gets even more difficult when it's like, well, this agency is progressive. Um, well, some of the, the interventionists might be and some of the interventionists might not be. Uh, so it's, it's hard, but I think uh, it's the, the parents that are going to have to advocate. They're going to have to ask. They're going to have to determine. Uh, and, and go in and, and ask the types of questions that Justin was talking about uh, to find out, is, is this happening for my child? Is this happening for uh, my adolescent? Uh, and if it's not, ask the questions to get it happening for your client uh, or for your child or for your adolescent. I think one thing that we've done to really help more agencies, more families, is uh, Autism Partnership Foundation has created a free 40 hour training. And so it's a, it's a training that I'm sure Joe can put in the, in the chat or something. I don't know anything about technology, so I, I can't do that. Maybe Joe can't, he gave me a look. Like, I don't think I, I don't know how. Uh, yeah. Um, and, and so uh, the, the 40 hour training is free. A lot of the 40 hour trainings, people are charging a lot of money for anywhere I've seen from $55 uh, to $3,000 and they're charging charging money for it. And we've decided that we want to make it as a free resource. And I know to date, I think about 370, 370,000 people have used it. And we're very proud that so many people have taken it. We never thought we'd get to those numbers ever. And I think, I think, you know, letting your agent agencies that you're in know about that training uh, to really, to really help them get trained or get initial training in the progressive model would be highly important. Before we go to more questions, Joe, I think we've talked a little bit about it and how to get there. I, I'm wondering if you have thoughts or for the people listening or still decide to listen to us uh, rant away, is why do, why do we believe it's so important? Why are we here on the 21st hour of this? Why did Shannon want us to come and speak? Why is it important to get this kind of intervention as opposed to like the conventional common uh, behavioral intervention that exists? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and before I answer, uh, I don't know how to put it in chat, but if you go to autismpartnershipfoundation.org, uh, you can find access to that free training. Uh, and it's free forever, for always, for everyone. So uh, just navigate on over there uh, and you can find it. Uh, why I think it's important. Um, so I, I don't, I feel like I don't look that old, um, but I kind of feel old um, within the field. I'm, I'm 40 and I've been in the field for a, a half of my life now. Um, and I, that's given me the opportunity to see uh, kids begin intervention uh, and who are now adults or what I would consider adults. And I think there's a lot of people that are just getting into the field. Like I think some of the, the data are the most of the BCBAs right now um, have recently been certified with just in the last five years. 
I mean, I don't know if that means that they just got into the field five years ago or if they've just been um, certified within those past five years. But I don't think everyone has had the opportunity um, to see intervention from the beginning to where it could possibly be. Um, so I think that kind of skews what people could view as potential outcomes for the people that they provide services for or ABA services for. Um, I've been able to see kids go from no, no functional skills, no functional language, no social skills, um, just not a lot of skills, engaging in lots of dangerous behaviors, uh, like hitting their heads, um, throwing things, uh, hitting other people. Uh, and now they're in college uh, without support, uh, selecting their own majors, uh, directing their own lives, doing what they want to do um, because they have the skills to be able to do it that wouldn't have been there, um, I don't think at least, they wouldn't be where they are um, without getting the quality intervention that they got from the get-go. Uh, and if that intervention wasn't as quality and wasn't as progressive as I think it was, I don't know that they would be in the same, it, have the same lives that they have right now. Um, so I, I know for many people, it's just a job. You show up uh, at 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. and you leave at 4 or 5. Um, but what happens with those hours impacts what's going to happen for that person for the rest of their lives. Um, so just because even though it might just be a job for some people, um, you're changing lives and you're changing the trajectory of lives and what could happen 10 years, 20 years, 40 years down the road. Um, so to me, it's so important because of, of the life changing capabilities that quality ABA can have uh, that if you don't get it. Um, it's going to complete, could completely impact the outcomes uh, that you would have in, in your lives and really limit your choices and limit your options. Uh, I'll just go ahead and jump off my soapbox now um, and let, let Justin jump in. Internet is... Or I'll keep going because Justin's on hotel Wi-Fi. Yeah, I'm on I hotel Wi-Fi. Can you hear me? Sorry about that. I apologize, Shannon. I thought the Wi-Fi would be good here. Um, I, I heard what you said. I, I, to me, it's all about quality of life. It's a quality of life issue at the end of the day. I think I, I, when I give presentations, I talk about my boys who are not autistic, uh, but during COVID, what I wanted from them and really what I wanted from them is that they had happiness, joy, love in their lives, and that they loved baseball. And so those are the those are the qualities I look for minus the love in baseball, but that's always an added bonus. Um, you know, you mentioned that we've taken kids who don't have language and who are, end up conversational. We take kids who are beating themselves up and stop doing that and no longer hitting themselves or biting themselves. We take kids who are isolated and they end up having and choosing to have friendships and, and and really having meaningful outcomes. And so for us, it's all about quality of life and what we've seen clinically for years and what we see empirically for years is uh, that when you get this kind of model service, the quality of life is amazing. And it and although conventional ABA makes good progress, kids kids do get get better, we see better outcomes for our kids when they're getting this kind of quality of life. Yeah, I, it's, it's uh, to me, I'm awful at analogy. So please, uh, everybody feel free to let me know how bad this is. But it's like, uh, if you go to a tutor, 
and your tutor isn't that great, but they get you to go from, you know, having a D grade to a C grade, that's progress. Um, but if you have a great tutor, they might be able to take you from a D to an A. Uh, and I think that's really the difference that we're talking about here. Um, ABA um, can, done conventionally could get you from a D to a C. Um, ABA done progressively could get you from a D to an A. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. I think of it in terms of baseball coaches and the better the coach, the better the player comes out. And I see that with my two sons right now and, and the difference between their coaches, uh, one who's amazing and one who isn't. I hope the one who isn't isn't on this uh, uh, forum, but just the difference of what coaching does to them and their skills and their confidence. I think it's the same kind of stuff with ABA. If you get quality, you get that those those better outcomes. And so to me, that's why it's so important. It's it's helping every every child that I've seen and has gone through this this philosophy, and that's thousands of children now, have reached have reached their fullest potential. And I think that's something I'm really proud of. I'm not saying they're cured. I want to be clear. I'm not saying you know that that they're indistinguishable. I'm not going to use terms like that. I'm just saying they're reaching their fullest potential. And it's because of the dedication of the staff and it's because of the dedication of the parents. And most importantly, it's, a, it's the hard work of our learners who help them reach their fullest potential and they're happy, they're healthy, they're thriving in life. And, and that's that brings the joy to me. And ultimately they have more options because they have more skills. So they, they can lead the lives that they would like to lead because they, they can make those decisions and they can lead their lives with the skills that they've developed through the course of, of a progressive ABA therapy intervention uh, training, whatever you would like to call it. Um, and I think I wanna uh, try not to self-promote too much, um, but thinking about how it might be difficult to find people that implement this or might find agencies that, that take this approach to ABA. Um, Autism Partnership Foundation has been key in the development of, of some new certifications uh, in the field. And our idea is that these certifications can help differentiate those who might provide a conventional approach and those who might provide a, a more progressive approach. Um, and so the Autism Partnership Foundation helped develop, it's called the Progressive Behavior Analyst Autism Council. Uh, I think it's uh, progressiveaba.org, no, that's not right, pbaac.org, pbaac.org. Um, and they're rolling out, they rolled out one certification um, that's called the Certified Progressive Behavior Analyst Autism Professional. And really that's to differentiate between people that can identify and talk about and conduct research on a progressive approach, but they just announced two other um, levels of, of certification um, for supervisors and interventionists. Uh, and those are really focused on the people that are supervising the intervention and those that are providing the intervention. And the difference between this and some of the other certifications, it's new, it's additional, it's not, it's not competing, it's not comp replacing anything, but the focus is it's autism specific and it's performance based. So Justin had talked earlier that training needs to be more about just time. You need to actually show that you can do it. The focus of these, these certifications are you have to show that you can provide supervision in a progressive approach to ABA, or you have to show that you can implement a progressive approach to ABA. So it's it's hopefully rolling out within the next couple of years, but hopefully you'll see more and more people with these credentials that can help you identify who might be looking at ABA from a progressive lens and who might be looking at it through a more conventional lens.
Nice uh, shameless self-promotion there, but uh, <laughs> I do think it will help the field uh, immensely. Do you want to go to another Absolutely. question? There are a few, or do you want to shift? Oh, yeah, yeah. Here? Yeah, yeah, let's let's jump into questions. Okay, so you talked about wanting a to look at the curriculum that an ABA agency would be providing. Can you expand more on what you would look for in a quality curriculum? Since you talked about quality curriculum as one of the qualities that you'd look for, I'll let you take first stab at that one. I feel like I'm going first a lot here, so it's a- You want me to, I'm happy to take no, 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 it, but you- I can tell you, I, I, I want to see in terms of building curriculum, I want to see, first of all, that they're going, that the agency, the interventionist, the supervisor is going through multiple sources. And so it's just not one curriculum book. They're not adhering to like, we only use this curriculum book and this is the only curriculum we're using. This is the only way to go. So I want to see multiple, that they're bringing in from multiple sources to develop the curriculum. I also want to see that um, that interventionist supervisors owners are helping create their own curriculum. So thinking outside the box is what I want to call it. Um, I've seen very talented behavior analysts across the country say, well, I need to teach a skill, but I can't find it in a curriculum book. And then my challenge to them is, well, create the curriculum, create the program, get it in there, test it, uh, probe it, redefine it. So I, I wanna see that in terms of what they're using. I also think it's important that they're not just using one assessment. When you have a learner, you should be using a battery of assessments and be taking it from, from a variety of assessments to develop your best curriculum. So sometimes I see people maybe just using the VB map or the violin and using that in isolation alone. You wanna have agencies and supervisors and interventionists have a complete battery of assessments to determine what to do. And then I, I, for me, I call it little picture versus big picture thinking. I wanna look at what they're teaching and, and why they're teaching. Why are they teaching it right now? What is the benefit for the child in the moment, right here in the next week or so? What is it gonna bring to them? How is it gonna improve their overall quality of life? How is it gonna improve their life here? And then what is this skill, what is this target, how is it a building block for other important behaviors? How is it going to help them reach their fullest potential? So if I'm working on turn-taking or sharing, I mean, most people don't want to share. Like, like, if it's up to most people, they're not going to share things. And we share because it helps us with relationships. It helps us hang out with people. It helps us become friends and, and, and be part of social opportunities. So for me, sharing, we're working on sharing because that's a skill that can lead to a better, better quality of life at the end of the day. I'd see this is why I let you take it first, uh, because there's not really much I can add there. Uh, but I, I think the one thing that I'd add is ask um, your the supervisor or whoever's supervising the case or, or your, your child's team the, the why question. Why are we working on this? And if they can answer those questions, like Justin said, in terms of the, the short term and the long term, uh, then I would feel like they're providing some quality curriculum. Uh, and depending on what their answers are, of course, uh, if they can't answer, why are you working on imitation uh, that doesn't go beyond so that when I clap my hands, they'll clap their hands, 
um, then I'd be concerned. But if they can answer, uh, like, why are you working on imitation? Is that, well, there's a lot of learning that can happen through imitation. So we can accelerate the learning process um, by working on this. It's not just that when I clap my hands, you clap your hands. It's that you're learning. I can teach you how to learn through imitation and how to develop skills through imitation, just like a lot of us learn uh, as time goes on, because we've learned to imitate others um, so we can expedite that learning process. The other thing that I'd add, and I think Peter Gerhardt talks about it, is the five-year question. Um, how is this going to be beneficial for my child in five years? Um, so are they thinking that far down the road um, so that they're going beyond what's going to happen in the current context and what's going to be meaningful in the long run? Um, so they should always be thinking at least five years down the road, as well as what's going to happen in the, in the short term. So again, it's that short-term, long-term piece um, that becomes very important. I think that's a great point and the one that Peter makes up and for the parents, if there are parents listening, Joan, I can't see who's listening in all the different places. So it could be, we're talking to ourselves in the 21st hour. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I think that's something to really consider when you're in IEPs, when teachers or professionals uh, are coming with you with IEP goals is, okay, well, we're working on this this year, why? Why is this going to be important in five years? What is it going to build? And we shouldn't be thinking just the near future of one year. It's what it builds. I think the same, if you're in a service, if you're with a service provider and they have team meetings or I forget what else, what are, what are they called? Uh, do you know a different name for For IEPs? No, for like if you're in a clinic. I, I, I forget the lingo. For hmm. You have a team meeting. You're meeting every one week or every two weeks or every month and they come new goals. I think parents really, you should ask your service provider, okay, that's a great goal. What, why, why are we doing this? What does this help my child in, in five years? And if the, if the service provider or teacher can't give you a good answer or a reasonable answer, then to me, that's a problem with the goal selection. Then you're just doing goals just to do goals versus something that is gonna be impactful for your child, your learner's life. And so I think, I think we need to look from it that lens versus just, to put a check, you know, by that we did it. Absolutely. It's more than just checking out boxes on an assessment. Uh, so there's still some questions rolling in. I, I was told to remind everybody that this is the last call for questions at, at this time. So if you have a question, get it in now. Um, but let's see. We Oh, this is it looks like a comment maybe. Thank you so much for that 40-hour program. It's amazing. I suggest parents to make it if they can, um, it helps to understand the process with your child. So again, that's the the free four hour training we provide at autismpartnershipfoundation.org. Well, 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 thank you, the person that put that for for listening to us for forty hours. I don't know if that was all pleasant for you, but we we appreciate you uh, being a part of that and and part of this movement of increasing access to quality intervention especially for those few modules that everyone has to go through where I talk about jargon. Uh, so I, I apologize for having to hear me define terms, but hopefully someone finds it useful. Uh, not, not, not many. Not, not many. Uh, well, hopefully the three, what, 370,000 people that have gone through it have found it somewhat useful. Um, so we have another one, another question. You wanna jump into that or? Yeah, sure. Something else? All right. What do you mean by conventional ABA? How would you identify what is progressive, what that is versus progressive ABA? Is it only based on outcomes? Uh, since you went first, I'll go first uh, on, on this one. Um, so to, to me, again, it goes down to 
where is the what am I responsive to as the interventionist? So it's not just about outcomes, although outcomes are a part of it. Uh, if we want to talk more about the day to day, if I'm the therapist, if I'm the RBT, if I'm the interventionist, what what am I being responsive to? If my main source that I'm being responsive to is a sheet of paper that's that's just telling me if the client does this or if the child does this, then I should do this. Uh, I would call that more conventional. If our technology had advanced to the point that we could just give everybody an if-then sheet, we'd have robots working with kids. We can't do that. Our technology hasn't advanced to that point. I, I don't think it will. Um, there's too much to consider and there's too much to be responsive to. If my main, if the main source for me to be responsive to your child and the context uh, that we're in, then I would say it's more progressive. If I'm being responsive to the child, to the client, uh, more so than I'm being responsive to a sheet of paper, I would call that at least it's leaning more towards progressive, right? So if, if I can analyze the situation, I can use that analysis to make changes in the moment uh, to ensure progress and to ensure happy progress uh, for everybody involved, then I would say that's more progressive. Um, so to me, it's more about the sources uh, of control or the sources of responsivity. What am I being more responsive to, a sheet of paper or the client? I mean, that's part of it. Uh, we, I, yeah, <laughs> there's much more, I, I, but I, I, I'll I leave that for I you think, to talk I think about. that's a, it's a good answer. I don't know how to add to it. I mean, I think what you can look out for is, let's say, for example, an instruction uh, that we hear. Let's see, a discriminative stimulus might be a more technical uh, word that you might be associated with. Uh, in some agencies, this is what I would hear all day do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And I'm going to stop. These are just going to turn out the rest of the, uh, the 23 hours. And so you hear the same type of instruction. There are proponents in of this type of method that you provide one instruction uh, to the learner. And from my perspective, that leads to boredom, could lead to anger from the child, could lead to the child tuning out, doesn't lead to discriminating different responses. So they might not be able to, if you say, copy me instead of do this, they might not know how to respond. And so I think this is kind of that rigid adherence to a protocol that they're told what to do. I think another example in agencies, which goes back to what they're responding to, Joe, is that they all have uh, the same type of reinforcer. And so a lot of times it's food reinforcers. We were, we've been at places where you cut up Skittles into quarter sizes and you're popping it in their mouth after every correct response, essentially. To me, that's not, that's, that's the conventional model versus trying to uh, get social reinforcers and choice and choices from the learner to do it. If you see that, that, that would be a kind of a warning sign where in progressive we, we do the opposite. Uh, I think prompting, which is essentially providing assistance to the learner there are places where it is absolutely rule governed and you, without looking at what they're looking at, you can just watch them and say, okay, on this instruction, they're going to put a hand on them and move their hand over. On this instruction, they're putting a hand on and moving their hand over. Now it's been two times. So this time they're only going to touch the elbow and move. And now they're going to touch the elbow and move. And then they're going to point. And then you're going to point and you can follow this really clear pattern in the conventional approach that you do uh, 
that you do um, two two trials of this kind of help, then two trials of this help, and then two trials of this help. Versus in a progressive approach, the interventionist is paying attention to the learner, and so they would point or physically guide or use verbal models or model in different ways and really change it. So there's no like pattern going on or a pre-existing pattern. Uh, you know, this is, once again, my, my student did a study, you were on the, on the dissertation two days ago, I believe, uh, on this model and showed the uh, immense, tremendous effects. And that was Shannon Arthur's uh, uh, great study. And so that's the differences. I think that's, I think that's stuff you can see uh, from, from being a parent or being a new behavior analyst or behavior technician. You can see if it's if you have to follow rules, or if you still have a, a or if you don't have to follow rules. And I, I want to be careful on that. You're still systematic in this. In this, I, I, I equate it to football. And I'm sorry if you don't know football. If people in there don't know, but I equate it to being a quarterback. And in a quarterback, the head coach calls a play. You go up there, and you have options. You either you either run the play, or you audible and you change the play. And that's based on the quarterback surveying the defense and determining if the if he thinks uh, the play is going to be successful. If they think it's going to be successful, you stick with it. If you don't think it's going to be successful, you change the play. And so I think that that's the difference that I see. Yeah, absolutely. Plans and protocols are for guidance, not obedience. Um, so the Perfect. you know you should, the should quote that now. <laughs> All right. Uh, whoever, whatever I said, someone please write that down. Uh, yeah, if, if if something seems more rigid, it's going to be on the conventional side. If there seems to be a plan, but flexibility within that plan, it's going to be on the progressive side. Um, to to say it not as articulate as you did, Justin. Um, I think we're done with the questions because we had the last call. Do you want to spend uh, a little bit talking about our exciting events coming up? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So more, more self promotion, but I think I think the audience will be happy with it. Yeah. I I just looked at my calendar. I was like, wait, that's happening very very soon. So we have a conference coming up on the twenty first of this month. Uh, sixteen days away. Sixteen days away. Oh my goodness. Uh, we we have a lot of work to do. Uh, but if you're if you're interested and want to learn more about some of the stuff we're talking about from uh, a, a, an amazing list of presenters uh, that I think we'll jump into here in a bit. Uh, it's April 21st. It's here in Long Beach, uh, California. But if you're not located in California, we're also offering a live stream so you can watch it from the comfort of your own home. Um, but yeah, you want to jump into some of the speakers? Well, it's not your traditional conference in the field of autism or in the field of applied behavior analysis. It's, it's, you're, you're, gonna, you're not going to see what you normally see. And so um, I don't know which one to start because I'm so excited about so many. I'll just say that it's opening up with John Lithgow. John Lithgow is coming in and talking for 20, 25 minutes and, and providing a, our opening remarks. And to me, this is important because we talk in the autism community, the ABA community, that we need to get this out and we need to get this more widely disseminated. What better way than, than an actor who has connections into other areas that we don't usually go and can really show him throughout the day how, how important quality ABA is and, and the difference it can make. And so I think it's really remarkable that he's willing to give his time and, and present. 
and we're, we're very thrilled with him. I think that that's one off. You know, I think with other um, with other presenters, you know, we have Van Jones from CNN. We have Dara, who's the CEO of Uber, uh, speaking. We have Keith Wargo, the CEO of Autism Speaks, coming and talking. We have Lori Unum, and if you guys don't know who Lori Unum is, she's the one that helped lead the insurance reform throughout this country, talking. And then, really excitingly. We have a parent panel. Uh, Shannon Penrod is going to be on that parent panel. So we are thrilled that she has agreed to come down and be part of that parent panel. We have uh, Judith Ursetti and Mike Wasmer, uh, parents of individuals with autism, and Arun Gupta, uh, who are all going to be part of this uh, parent, parent panel and provide their perspective. And then even more exciting for me is we have an autistic adult perspective. So. We have, uh, I believe now, four autistic adults coming and giving their perspectives. And actually, they, uh, after John Lithgow speaks, they lead off as the first panel. I think it's so important to include autistic individuals in our conferences. I'm glad that I think we have six autistic individuals presenting with us at this time. And I think we've always led the way into getting autistic individuals into these conferences. I'm glad that they are that they are speaking and giving their perspectives. and. They're not coached. It's we don't know what they're gonna say, and we we're excited and eager to learn and hear uh, from them. Yeah, it's it's an opportunity for us all to to learn and and understand more of the autistic perspective from individuals with autism. Uh, and I think that doesn't happen very often at conferences within the ABA world, at least. Uh, not to say that it doesn't happen outside of that world, um, but yeah, it's it's going to be. A wonderful panel, uh, and you left out one, and I think you did it intentionally because it's the one that I'm on. Um, well, I left uh, out mine too, and I left out <laughs> Pat Ryman and Bill Heward, but talk about yours. I think that's a good panel as well. Yeah, uh, well, just the last hour before we came on here made me think about it because I think there was a question about uh, if someone that's against ABA, and I think some of the some of the question uh, was about masking and what do we do for people that think that you know. Um, ABA is abusive or bad or something along those lines. And part of the panel that I'm going to be on is is going to tackle some of those difficult discussions, some of those difficult topics. Uh, John McCacken uh, from Autism Partnerships is going to moderate it. Uh, and it'll be myself and Stephen Shore, um, who I think Stephen Shore has been on Autism Live before or is part of the takeover as well. Um, so it should be a wonderful discussion where we can really jump into um, some of the topics that Shannon said, uh, a group of autistic advocates have been um, really loud at vocalizing some of the concerns that they have about ABA, and we're going to talk about it. Uh, let's not hide behind the curtains. Let's bring it out in front of the curtains, and let's really have a thoughtful discussion about it. And I love the words thoughtful, and I, I know you, Joe, and I know Stephen Shore, are just so professional, so have can have discourse but can have in the right way not emotional discourse can have can have that thoughtful discussion I, th I think that will be another uh great panel and once again to my knowledge of it it's not like you guys are gonna have questions and it's gonna be kind of like this you have a little game plan of what's gonna be talked about in perimeters but we're gonna see where it takes you guys with, with those questions and and what's occurring so yeah i know we are very excited for uh, this um, this conference, and I think it, it, it there's something for everybody. Uh, 
and you can see it live streamed or you can be in person, uh, which, which will be amazing. Yeah, and you can register through Behavior Live. I think I sent a, a flyer along, but I don't know if that's up. I really, really don't know how technology works, even though Justin calls me an expert in it. Um, but uh, BehaviorLive.com, if you search for Autism Partnership Foundation, you should be able to find it. Um, and if you're coming in person, lunch is included. If you need CEUs, CEUs are included. Um, if you're not a, a professional or you don't need any of that stuff, that, I mean, it's only $125 for all of those people that Justin just talked about. Or if you're interested in the CEUs, it gets you up to 175 which is, I, I mean, I think it's crazy that it's that cheap, considering some of the expensive conferences uh, that are offered in our field um, that don't really have some of the speakers that we're able to offer. Like Justin said, it's not your typical ABA conference. Uh, it's also not your typical price for an ABA conference. So, so Joe, I'm going to take over because I think we have like three minutes left according to your itinerary when we have to get out and go to commercial break. Is that right? Sure. Sounds about right. Uh, you talked about looking five years ahead with curriculum. Where would you like to see this field in five years? And where would you like to see applied behavior analysis in five years from now? What, what are your hopes and dreams? Oh, wow. My, my hopes and dreams in a couple of minutes. Uh, um, that's a great question. I mean, I really hope that the the field of at least the the practice side of ABA, the side that many people contact, particularly if you have a child with autism or if you're interested in autism intervention, I hope that that practice side of our field starts looking at itself uh, a little bit more closely and start identifying some of the problems that are related to some of the um, requirements that that are in our field i'm speaking a little bit vaguely intentionally here uh but what i what i mean by that is i hope that within five years instead of um just time and certification base we're looking at qualifications through a performance-based lens so i hope that more and more people become qualified not necessarily through certification but through training that allows them to perform uh and so if it would be wonderful if in five years we were talking about how we can make even more progress uh, as opposed to how do we just a little bit to the things that Justin and I had experience with. Because I think that's kind of what we've been advocating for is, yeah, we're progressing forward, but sometimes to progress forward, you need to look what was happening before. Because I think some of the things that were happening early on in our field are much more progressive than some of the things that I've seen happening today. Um, so part of it is getting back to our roots, but hopefully once we get back to our roots, um, we can continue to move things forward by looking at our training requirements for the practitioners within our field and ensuring that everybody is qualified to provide quality intervention. Call it progressive, call it whatever you want as long as we're doing the best thing for our clients so they can reach their best possible outcomes, that's what I would like to see happening. I think what needs to happen within the next five years is we need to change the training standards within our field to make that happen. I, mean, I tried excellent. to be short. I think that's an excellent answer. They'll tell us when we, we have to be kicked off, Joe, you'll let me know when we have to be kicked off. I, I think for me, I would like to see more places, schools, homes, group homes, different residential settings, be implementing quality intervention, what we're terming progressive. I want to see that being implemented more and more because I know when that's being implemented, um, uh, when that's being implemented, our learners are having 
amazing outcomes. They're having, they're having a high quality of life. They're happy. They have love. They have joy. They can make decisions of what they want to do or don't want to do. And for me, the more, the more that this is being implemented, this quality interventions being implemented, the better it's going to be for everyone that's involved. And so I'm hoping that we see, we've seen exponential growth in terms of behavior analysts and number of behavior analysts and number of agencies out there. I'm hoping we're seeing now a growth in the direction of not just, uh, not just that there are agencies, that there are quality agencies and that, that, that they are implementing quality intervention and that more people can have access to it. Uh, that, that's, I think, if we can get that in the next five years, I will be very, very happy um, of what has occurred. It's gonna be a busy five years. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Because, uh, I mean, for that to happen, we're gonna need more qualified people providing that quality training that's going to lead to more quality intervention or quality ABA. Um, so hopefully we can make that happen and, and hopefully anybody who's interested, um, can reach out to us or through other sources and, and we can chat more. Um, all of these conversations take more than an hour, uh, and we could talk for hours and hours and days and days and months and months. Uh, so, uh, hopefully we'll see some of you out in April if it is just more than me and Justin talking to each other, um, and, uh, hope to continue this conversation. Wasn't this fun, Joe? Doesn't this remind you of when we used to do a podcast, a much smaller podcast, but did it together? It, it, it does. It does. It was nice. Well, although I knew that I could just run over to your house if the internet wasn't working. Like now you're on the other side of the country. So if the internet's not working, I don't know what we're going to do. But yeah, it was fun. Hopefully it was fun for anybody that was listening as well. Well, I want to thank you. I want to thank everyone for sticking with us for the hour, whoever's out there. Please feel free to contact us. I'm Joe, thank you for coming on this journey. And, and Shannon, thank you for setting up this amazing opportunity, uh, not just for us, but for everyone to speak for so long uh, and get our slots and so much good information has come about it. So thank you for, for creating such a, such a wonderful event. I know when you talked to me about it uh, a couple of weeks ago, months ago, I, I was really excited with it. And it's outstanding how, what you're doing and bringing so much information in this, in this very public forum. And we both Joe and I are honored that we were a part of this, uh, part of this, uh, uh, journey. Mother's day is almost here and you can get her the most beautiful time tested gift around a watch. She can wear every day for movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style. All for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.